Alright folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to talk about an article that I put out uh, yesterday. I guess you're listening to it on Friday. I'm recording this on Thursday night, the day that I posted the article. And I got some good feedback on it, and I thought it was pretty interesting, uh, the actual exercise that I went through to rank the most talented teams in the Western Conference. It's not necessarily the best teams, although it could be an approximate of that. This actually came from an exercise done by the athletic Seth Pollock, or not Seth Pollock, that's my former boss, uh, Seth Partnow, excuse me. And so I'm going to go through that. I'm going to go through the actual rankings and kind of the process, the results, the surprises. And then in the second segment, we're going to dive headfirst into that contender tier of which I think the Nuggets are definitely a part of. And then in the third segment, we're going to talk about Marvel because I have thoughts on the Marvel franchise and why it's actually good for the movie industry. And so I didn't get a guest this week. Going to have guests in each of the next two Friday episodes. Should be a lot of fun for each of those conversations. But this one is solo, so we're going to kind of go on that uh, solo journey to a different topic other than basketball. So it should be fun. But for now, let's focus on the basketball. Let's focus on what the article was about. As I mentioned, the most talented teams in the Western Conference. How do you rank talent? How do you quantify stuff like that? It's, It's very subjective talent. What does talent even mean? Well, I tried to make it as objective as possible, and I employed Seth Partnow's rankings over over at The Athletic. And what he does in those rankings is he doesn't just prescribe a number to a player. He actually prescribes them to a certain tier, and he has sub-tiers within each tier, but I focused on the main kind of group. He had tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four, and tier five. And those five tiers encompassed about 125 players or so. And I thought that this was a really interesting exercise. He's done this multiple times uh, over the course of multiple years. And I think it's a good way to break down talent in the NBA. Because a lot of guys, like the actual number doesn't matter. Like is Jokic the best player in the NBA, the second best player, the third best player? Does it really matter? Like he's good enough to win a title as your best player. I think that's pretty clear. And if that's all that matters, then his ranking doesn't necessarily matter that much to me. Same thing with a guy like Jamal Murray. I know that he's good enough to be the second best player on the championship team. And Seth Partnow's tears reflect that. I think that's great. But the number doesn't matter in and of itself. So we're going to talk about the process. And then I'm going to talk about what I did for the article. The process that Seth goes through is he ranks these guys very uh, forcefully uh, to the point where the tiers at the top have a very small group of players. They get about eight guys in tier one, 10 guys in tier two, maybe 11, 20 guys in tier three, 40 guys in tier four, and about 60 maybe in tier five, maybe, maybe less than that, maybe like 50, however much that adds up to. 
But I think it's very interesting to break it down like that. And what I decided to do was I prescribed a point value to whether you ranked in a certain tier. And so for the Nuggets, they had five players that fell in each of the tiers. Jokic was tier one. Aaron Gordon was tier four. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope was tier five. Bruce Brown, Bones Highland, they didn't appear. And that's fine. But so I prescribed the tiers a certain point value. If you're tier one, you get seven points. Tier two, or excuse me, tier one, you get 10 points. Tier two, you get seven. Tier three, you get five. Tier four, you get three. And tier five, you get one. And so I think that that's an important quantifier and trying to keep this as objective as possible. I had my own personal opinions on whether a player belonged in a specific tier, but I didn't really haggle. I decided let's just keep this the way it is. So I added up all of the players that were broken down into the tiers by their team, and then I added up all the points. So for example, the Nuggets, they had one tier one player, so they have 10 points there. They have one tier three player, so they have five points. They had two tier four players in MPJ and Aaron Gordon, so they get six points there. And they get one tier five player, so that's one point. So add that all up together and you get 22 points. And so I did that for the entire Western Conference. And I thought that that was a good way to break down the amount of talent at the top because it really is the top level talent that's affecting winning. There are players that are outside the top 125 players or so that could impact a series. Bones Highland, Bruce Brown, I think are good examples of that. But more often than not, it's the top guys that are really driving the winning. So I think that this is a very fair way to break down this list. And so let's go into the ranking itself. We'll start at the top. I'm going to circle back to the contenders a little bit in the second segment for sure. At the top, you have the Golden State Warriors, far and away with 27 points. Curry's in Tier 1. Clay's in Tier 3, which I kind of disagreed with. You've got that group, which not really surprising. They made it out of the Western Conference. So it stands to reason that they're the most talented team in the, in the West. Number two in the West was a tie between Phoenix and Denver. Denver's at 22 points. Phoenix also at 22 points. I made Phoenix 2A because they have less health uncertainty. The Nuggets unfortunately do, so I I bumped them down just a little bit, but they're basically the same. So you've got 2A, 2B, and then the LA Clippers at 21 points. They come in at number four, and that rounds out the contender tier. The Clippers, obviously, they lost Kawhi and Paul George, so it's not really surprising that those guys like make a big difference in a in a in an exercise like this. Paul George barely played last year. Kawhi Leonard didn't play at all. The Clippers are going to be good, and we're going to talk about that second segment. Number five, and this tier is the playoff caliber teams. It goes from five to ten. New Orleans Pelicans, nineteen points. 6A LA Clippers with or LA Lakers with 18 points. 6B Memphis Grizzlies with 18 points. 6C Minnesota Timberwolves with 18 points. 
Number nine, you drop all the way to nine because three teams were tied. The Dallas Mavericks, who made the Western Conference Finals this last year, 15 points. They're far less talent than most of the teams above them. So that should be a pretty large indicator of either Luka Doncic is just amazing, or maybe they're in for some regression, especially missing Jalen Brunson. And then number 10, the Portland Trailblazers at 14 points. So let me just reiterate that entire list of the top 10 teams. Golden State, Phoenix, Denver, LA Clippers, New Orleans, LA Lakers, Memphis, Minnesota, Dallas Mavericks, and Portland Trailblazers. So it's not really surprising, I think. I think the most surprising teams are probably the Pelicans and the Lakers. The Pelicans because I guess maybe it's not that surprising because they were an eight seed this last year or close to it, maybe a nine seed. I think they were a nine seed actually. And then the Lakers were an 11 seed, but the Lakers, they had their injury issues and Anthony Davis wasn't himself. The Pelicans, they didn't have Zion Williamson at all. And they got CJ McCollum mid-season. So it's not surprising that they were ranked lower in the standings but they might actually be a pretty good team next year. They don't have a top-tier talent like from an impact standpoint right now, but Zion is a guy that could potentially broach that uh, threshold. He could be a Tier 2 player as soon as next season. Could be a Tier 1 player as soon as next season. Probably not Tier 1. I think Seth is pretty conservative in terms of where he ranks these guys. But Zion is one of those players that could really pop. And then you've suddenly got a Pelicans team that is a dangerous out for about just about anybody. The Nuggets have struggled with the Pelicans before. All of those games are close. Obviously, the Lakers, when you have LeBron and AD, Tier 1 for LeBron, so he gets 10 points there. Tier 2 for AD, so he gets 7 points. Tier 5 for Russell Westbrook. And that's pretty kind to Russ. So it's not really surprising that they ranked as highly as they did because of the top-tier talent. But they, more than anybody, have just a massive weakness in talent from Tier 3, Tier 4, Tier 5. It wouldn't surprise me if Russ didn't deserve to be Tier 5 and he was just there because of the production. Russ actually is pretty hurtful. And they didn't really add anybody that could sniff the top 25 players, top 125 players in the NBA. So it's possible that the Lakers are still pretty bad, even if they have the talents, because it's very heavily reliant on LeBron being elite and Anthony Davis being close to elite. Right below them, Memphis, as I said, Kind of surprising to see them tied with this group, but they did lose a couple guys. DeAnthony Melton, though he didn't rank on this list. Kyle Anderson, though he didn't rank on this list. John Morant's in Tier 2. Jaron Jackson in Tier 3. Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks in Tier 4. They have a core, but they don't really scare anybody, I don't think. If you're one of the contenders in the West, you feel like you can beat Memphis. Like They have the dynamic talent, don't get me wrong. But in terms of the impact level players, they're still a little bit lacking. 
Minnesota, they added a very impactful player in Rudy Gobert, but they're one of the only teams where fit, I think, could be a massive issue. Where you've got Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns. While they're, they should have 48 minutes of good center play, I would definitely bet on that for sure. I think it's very possible that they struggle with their starting lineup in comparison to some other teams. Or maybe their bench lineups aren't necessarily as good as they could be because they have to stagger. Uh, Actually, that's not true. Staggering will help their bench lineups, to be clear, but they just don't have the depth behind the group that they have. Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell. They have Jaden McDaniels. They have Kyle Anderson now, but that's it. That's really it. And then Dallas, Luka Doncic, tier one player, so he gets 10 points. And the rest of that roster combined for five. So that's why they're ranked at nine. That's pretty pathetic, honestly. Losing Jalen Brunson, though he wasn't necessarily a top tier player, he was in, I think, tier four in terms of Seth's rankings. Jalen Brunson is going to be a missing piece for them. And Spencer Dinwiddie, though he is good sometimes, is not going to fill that void in all likelihood. Maybe he does, and maybe he surprises people. But it's going to be so much on Luka's shoulders in terms of creation. They were really helpful. Uh, Jalen Brunson was really helpful in kind of easing Luka's burden a little bit. That's not going to happen this year at all. And as I mentioned, number 10, Portland. Damian Lillard, Jeremy Grant, Anthony Simons, Gary Payton II, they all rank pretty highly. Surprisingly, Josh Hart and Yusuf Nurkic did not make this list. I was a little bit confused about that, especially with Josh Hart. But they are a cap- they're a capable team. Could they be bumped from this list by somebody below them? Sure. But I do think that they should be in the driver's seat to at least make a play-in game if they are pretty healthy for the rest of the year, because they've got the offensive talent, to be clear. And you get down to your lower-ranking teams. I'm not going to focus as much time on these guys. Oklahoma City at 11 with 9 points. Utah and Sacramento are tied at 12 with 8 points. The San Antonio Spurs down at 14. They only have 2 points after trading DeJounte Murray. Keldon Johnson, Jakob Pertl, two Tier 5 players. That's about it. They're going to be on the tank, that's for sure. And then the Houston Rockets, they round up the list with zero points. Zero tier list players. Jalen Green will probably break out at some point. Maybe rookie Jabari Smith is better than advertised. Maybe Alperin Shangun is pretty good, but Houston is still going to be pretty bad, I think. They have very little talent right now especially talent that's kind of going the correct direction. So we're going to see what they do. We're going to see what the rest of the West looks like. But to me, I think the top tier is pretty clear. You have some playoff caliber teams. There's no doubt. Memphis, Dallas, Minnesota, even the Lakers and the Blazers and teams like that. But in terms of your top tier, I think you've got the Nuggets, the Suns, the Warriors, and the Clippers. And we're going to talk about them on the other side when we come back on this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. But first, as you know, 
This podcast is brought to you by Superbook Sports. Summer is here and there's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall and the Hall of Fame game going on tonight. I think it just finished up. I'm not really surprised that everybody's getting ready for football and fantasy football at that. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they will match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet and start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let's dive in a little bit deeper on this contending group. The Nuggets, they see themselves as championship contenders, and if they don't win a title, then it's probably going to be at the hands of one of these four teams. I don't think it would be a failure if they lost to one of these or one of these three other teams, the Warriors, the Suns, or the Clippers. But I do think that if they lost to any of the teams below them, that would be a pretty big deal. But here are the contenders once again. Golden State, Phoenix, LA Clippers, and the Nuggets. Start with Golden State once again. Spent a lot of time talking about them, but Steph Curry, I think he's acquitted himself as a superstar. Very clearly a tier one player. He's had his struggles at various points, and, and he actually wasn't shooting as well during the regular season this last year. But that kind of came to a head in the playoffs. Like he he righted the ship as much as he possibly could and was dynamic during the playoffs. They don't have any tier two players right now. And uh, ever since they lost Kevin Durant, I think that's probably going to stay permanent. Like they're never going to have another two tier two player unless Jordan Poole does something crazy. But tier three, they have their two vets, Draymond Green and Clay Thompson. Draymond Green, Nuggets fans know exactly how valuable he is. He, when when he's facing a traditional center, he's going to give that center hell. He gave Jokic hell for a couple games, made a key defensive stop in game three, and just held on by a thread for games four and five. But I do think that he is a dynamic player. He showed some cracks. He showed some chinks in the armor in the finals got benched for one game, and maybe that's the sign of things to come. Maybe that's a sign that he's going to perform more like a Tier 4 player in the coming weeks, in the coming years. But I do think that he definitely deserves the benefit of the doubt, as does Clay Thompson. And though I would say he performed more like a Tier 4, maybe even Tier 5 player during the regular season, And he had some pretty inefficient games during the playoffs as well and and wasn't necessarily at his best. He is still a player that when you're coming back from an ACL tear and an Achilles tear, you're going to need to kick off some rust. He hadn't played for 900 days. So it's not surprising that he wasn't at his best. And he did show some dynamic signs that he could be the player that he was. The shooting should translate. 
So if he gets back to that good place as a shooter, maybe recovers some of his quickness and fluidity as a defender, then there's definitely a possibility that he returns to tier three form. I think Seth is definitely focusing in on that. Now, it's possible that he never gets back to that, but this is definitely benefit of the doubt. Tier four, you get Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole. Tier five, you get Kevon Looney. They lost Gary Payton II, who appeared in tier five. They also lost Nemanja Bialica and Otto Porter, who did not show up in the rankings, but they were still valuable pieces. So you, you lose all three of those pieces, and now you're going to work in Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, James Wiseman. They signed Dante DiVincenzo. It's still going to be these top six players. Like These are going to be the most important guys, and they're going to play a lot. And the Nuggets still have to figure out their own way of handling a team like that. But if Denver can handle those top six players, or at least play them even, actually, they're probably going to have to be better. Let's be honest. I think Golden State's depth is a little bit better than Denver's depth. A little bit more unproven, but I do think it's very reasonable to say so. Next team, Phoenix. Obviously, they completely got roasted in Game 7 of the second round this last year. I acknowledge that. I've made a lot of jokes about it. I actually take uh, a lot of happiness from that particular drought because they talked a lot of smack. They were uh, they couldn't back it up when the time came. And it's very weird that they didn't because they have very talented players. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, both Tier 2, not Tier 1, not quite at the Jokic level or the Steph Curry level, but they're still very good. Clearly all NBA players. No Tier 3 guys, although it's possible that DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges could eventually make their way up to that group. For now, though, those guys are Tier 4. And Tier 5, Jay Crowder and Cam Johnson. Jay Crowder, I feel like that's kind of a... It's kind of a conservative move by Seth Partnow because I think he's probably not at the level of Tier 5 anymore. And he's pretty old, at least at this stage. So it's possible that he falls off at some point, but until he does, still a solid role player. Cam Johnson has potential to be a little bit more than that. And these guys, they're in the mix for Kevin Durant. While I don't think that they're going to get Kevin Durant, if they did, they flipped Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, whoever, for Kevin Durant, then you're adding a Tier 1 player and replacing one Tier 4 and two Tier 5 guys. That would definitely elevate them to new thresholds. They'd be above Denver pretty clearly, and it would be pretty tough to match up with them. Pretty tough for any team to match up. But I don't think that's going to happen. And because of that, this is a team that Denver can match up with talent-wise. When you get past their top six, the rest of their team, it's really not great. Like, I think Denver might actually have a better 7 through 17 than the Suns do. But that trust, you have to trust in Bones Highland in order to think that. So we're going to see what the Suns look like. They're going to run it back. DeAndre Ayton, 
apparently he's all hunky-dory. Apparently all of the things that the Sun said about him, they don't matter because they retained him in restricted free agency. Though watch out for that situation. Watch out for the Suns. Any sign that they're going to fracture, and it's possible that they do. Next, we'll skip Denver, and we'll go to the LA Clippers. Tier 1, they had Paul jo- or Kawhi Leonard. Tier 2, they had Paul George. When both of those guys are healthy, they're one of the best duos in the NBA. Denver's duo of Jokic and Murray outplayed them in the playoffs in the bubble, but they were still very good in that series and very good against the Dallas Mavericks in the series prior to. Those guys are excellent. And I do think that the Clippers are heavily relying upon them. They don't have any tier three or tier four guys, but they have four tier five players. And it wouldn't surprise me if you could add like three others. Reggie Jackson's on there. Norman Powell's on there. Marcus Morris, Robert Covington. Nicholas Batum was kicked off, but he could be on there. So could Avisa Zubac and Terrence Mann. Like it wouldn't surprise me if those guys were that level. Like they're good role players. And so they're a team where you've got like your top two guys are two of the best in the league. But then to round out your starting five, not exactly sure how they're going to look, not exactly sure what they're going to do. But they have a good mix of pieces to mix and match and find the right combos. So we'll see. If they face Denver, obviously Ivisa Zubac is going to be a big deal. And then they're going to have to play small. They'll probably have Marcus Morris and Nicholas Batum battle Jokic for uh, spots at the five. But most of the time, they'll match up with Ivisa Zubac. And Denver has a lot of experience going at Zubac. Like he can be pretty successful against Denver. But his presence on the court, I do think, is worse for the Clippers. I'll go back to the Nuggets now. As I mentioned before, Nikola Jokic in Tier 1, no players in Tier 2, Jamal Murray in Tier 3, Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon in Tier 4, and KCP in Tier 5. That's Denver's starting lineup. It's one of the most potent in the entire NBA. I'm not really surprised that they made their way to this point. Murray and Porter, they might not perform like Tier 3 and Tier 4 players respectively immediately uh, when they get back on the court. But by the end of the season, and especially into the playoffs, there's no reason to think that they won't be those guys. Especially Murray. Like, he's shown what he can do in a playoff context. He's competitive as hell. He is explosive. He is dynamic. And Porter, he's a flamethrower when he gets going. And there's no doubt that he's working hard. We got to see that mixtape that he put out, I think, on Tuesday night. That was a great thing. Maybe it was Wednesday night. I'm not sure. But it was fantastic to see. Those guys are moving in silence for the most part. Not necessarily seeing a whole bunch of basketball content from either of them. But it doesn't mean that they're not putting in the work. Like they don't have to post everything on social in order to maintain that. As for the other guys, Aaron Gordon tier four makes a lot of sense. as kind of a, an elite role player type KCP tier five, 
solid role player for sure. Bruce Brown, uh, Seth noted in his conversation with Matt Moore on Locked on Nuggets that Bruce Brown was the final cut from the top 125 players. So he's very close, like could be on that list. And in my opinion, Bones Highland will perform at the level of a tier five, maybe even tier four player as soon as next season. So you get seven guys that you could realistically say deserve to be on that list. Beyond that, it's a little bit dubious. Like Zeke Naji, probably not making the list. Probably not like even next year, even if he plays a bunch. Jeff Green got knocked off of the list last year because he wasn't performing as well as he did with the Brooklyn Nets. Maybe he moves back on me if he's in a strong situation, but I doubt it. Other guys that could potentially get on there, Davon Reed? Probably not. Like, I think it's probably those top seven. Jokic, Murray, Porter, Gordon, KCP, Bruce Brown, Bones Highland. It's as strong of a top seven as any other team in the NBA, even Golden State. I think they're definitely getting some benefits, Golden State. But it's possible that if you kind of see into the future a little bit and where these players are probably going to rank after this coming season, it's possible that the Nuggets will be the top team in those rankings. They might not be, but I do think if you're just sorting by talent, those four teams, they separate themselves, and it's possible that Denver will run up against any of them. They're going to have to figure out how to match up with those top-tier teams, those top-tier players. Can they match up with Chris Paul and Devin Booker? Can they match up with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard? Can they match up with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole and Draymond Green? It's a tough mix. Denver, hopefully they have the right guys. They have to be healthy. They have to be going the same direction by that point. I just don't think there's any reason to believe that they can't do that. So I'm really excited to see what happens. Going to be a lot of fun. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to go into our Marvel discussion of why the MCU is good for movies. We'll be right back. back the gax and roll final segment here thank you so much everybody for tuning in appreciate all the love and support on the podcast as always really looking forward to this particular chat because i wish i was doing it with somebody else unfortunately i had a guest pull out so hopefully i can reconnect with that person at another time but I, i've always been a fan of the marvel universe the the marvel cinematic universe the superheroes uh, that have been become giants in the movie industry over the course of these last, what, 15 years? It's been incredible. I think Iron Man was made in either 2008 or 2009. I know Hulk was made in 2007, 2008. But, like, such a big deal for a lot of people. 
Like, I'm 25 years old. And when Iron Man came out, I was, what, 11, 12? These movies, for me, were pretty foundational. I know I'm pretty young. I know that there are a lot of people that have other movies as kind of their their backbone, what they what they grew up on, the types of films that they like. I think probably changes based off of when you were born because it's what you watched when you were growing up. I was talking to uh, my family over the course of a kind of a, a little extended getaway that we had. And one of the topics that came up was the movie premieres that have happened over the course of these last, uh, like the 21st century, that have hyped me up, that have actually kind of met that hype and been really, really good. It's very rare to find movies, especially lately, where the hype has just been building and building and building. And everybody goes and they're all happy with what they saw. Very rare. Jaws, Star Wars, back in the day, I think you could really point to those two. I think E.T. is probably another one that you could probably say. But in the 21st century, what movies come to mind? What movies were the most hyped up? The ones where you had the most build-up, they had to deliver, and then they did. I feel like the Marvel movies are pretty good. They're pretty high up there in terms of the ones that deliver on the hype. The ones that come to mind, obviously, are Infinity War and Endgame, the two Avengers movies, the most recent ones that came out. It was back in 2018 and 2019, right before the pandemic. And my God, was it unbelievable to be in that situation, to be in those theaters where nobody knew what was going to happen. And you get those big emotional moments, even though they're superhero movies. And they made people feel things. It was incredible. Now, a lot of people, they don't necessarily believe in that. They don't believe in superhero movies as cinema. Lots of movie snobs. They don't call superhero movies cinema. Especially what the MCU has done. Like, the only one that doesn't really get that hate is the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. The Dark Knight especially. Because that one gets that one got really hyped, obviously. Heath Ledger, what he did in that performance was incredible. And so a lot of people, they can take that and they take that as a as a superhero movie that they love. But most of them, a lot of them feel cookie cutter to a lot of different people. I can understand that too. I think what we've sort of lost with the movie going experience is the actual experience of it. The actual being in the theater and experiencing the movie. COVID kind of took that away for a while. I think a lot of people were stuck in their homes for a while. Some of us still living within our homes and not necessarily going out on enough. Uh, hint, hint, Ryan. But I feel like COVID kind of changed culture in a lot of different ways. Streaming has been even bigger than it was back in 2020. And you don't get as many of these hyped up releases. Like, there are some others that weren't just Infinity War and Endgame. Like, Avatar comes to mind. The last Harry Potter movie. Star Wars The Force Awakens was a really big deal. I was seven when this one came out, but uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King? Pretty big deal. Lots of people were extremely hyped for those movies. 
And some of them were big commercial projects, very similar to the MCU. Like Harry Potter, come on now. Star Wars, Disney, come on now. Like you're just going to get a lot of that when you get into these large commercial audiences where you have this crossover of maybe it's a book uh, like The Lord of the Rings, like Harry Potter. Maybe it's Dune. That's another one that I think I really enjoyed. There are a lot of Marvel movies. And I do think that they're doing something that's pretty crazy right now. They have tried to put out movies for everybody so that they get to see their superhero. I think that's really cool. A lot of it is for the kids. A lot of it, and and that's also one of the things, is that when you think about who's really watching these movies, who's consuming this content, the critics can sometimes get lost in the fact that these movies aren't necessarily made for them. That's kind of the point. I consider myself a Marvel fan. These movies are made for me. But some of them, they might not be as appealing for me. Maybe they're more appealing for a 10-year-old. Or a 14-year-old. Or an 18-year-old. And that's fine. The most important thing in my mind is that they tie people together. Which is just what movies are supposed to do. Like, they're not necessarily supposed to divide where you have to have a certain opinion on how these movies are made and the corporate giants that are sort of tied to it. It's tough. I understand. Like, got big companies like Amazon and Facebook and can get pretty scary at times without how large and commercial everything has become. The MCU, I guess, is kind of like that, given that Disney kind of runs it and Disney has run a lot of everything over the course of these last few years. But I do think the most important thing is that they've tied so many people together where you have this kind of through line of all these different stories. You can weave all the characters together. There's a lot of characters. There's a lot of people that Marvel fans get to be excited about, that comic book lovers get to be excited about. I was never into comic books. I think I missed that phase. But I still enjoy these movies. Still absolutely enjoy seeing these characters and some of the cameos that come through. Maybe they're hiding something in terms of a release, and then when it actually happens, people get super surprised. It's happened several times, and it's cool. It's fun. That's really what this is about. Don't just call them not cinema. I think one of the other things that's really helped is that they've helped raise the bar. A lot of people... If they're going to criticize what a Marvel movie is, go make something better. That's the burden they have to bear that the others that these other films have to do. They have to understand their audience. They have to make a film for a specific audience, and sometimes it's a little bit more narrow. And that's where you get some of these uh, more narrow films like A Parasite, where it's fantastic, it's great, it's awesome, and people love it. And then it kind of grows because it's just such a good movie that you start to get some national attention. You start to get some international attention because you just made something that is that good. Movies like A Quiet Place, Get Out, 
the Grand Budapest Hotel. I could name a whole bunch over the course of these last few years. Three Billboards is one that I really enjoyed. Ladybird is one that I enjoyed. You get these kind of, not indie films, but definitely alternative films to what these uh, superhero movies are for. That's just it. Like, the world of storytelling isn't just tied down to superheroes. It isn't just tied down to these unique stories either. Like, a lot of people love to see these characters, and a lot of them don't want to see those characters just be done after they go and end the movie. That's why when you tie all of these characters together, like in the MCU, like with Iron Man and Captain America, you get to see the closure for Iron Man in Endgame. And it was a really big deal because I remember watching that film back in 2008, 2009. I was watching it in the back of my mom's Honda Odyssey with the fold-down movie player. And we would put on our headphones or we'd play it through the speakers. Iron Man was so popular for us. Like, that was one of the ones that we would always break out. I was on the way to a baseball game or a football game or something like that. We're having having to travel 60 minutes to, like, a, a place that's out in the middle of nowhere. And on the way, or on the way back, you watch a movie. And you have a good time. And that was one of the movies that I would watch. And so I got to see Robert Downey Jr. and the way that he portrayed that character and the change that that character had to go through across 10 years. That's awesome. Like, a project like that, I think, takes more effort than a lot of people want to say it does. It takes a lot of acting discipline and and the ability to have something like that resonate with so many people. It means you have to be really good at what you do. Now, let's face it, the MCU, Marvel, they are really good at what they do. They continue expanding. They've expanded into streaming services, of course. Uh, I've loved some of the shows that they've done. Not all of the shows. I loved Loki. thought that that was great. I also really enjoyed WandaVision. Didn't necessarily enjoy Moon Knight as much, but that's fine. I actually haven't watched Miss Marvel yet. That's that's a, a blind spot for me. I should definitely watch that. But I know that it feels sometimes like Marvel is just cranking out movies. They've got these different phases. They finally completed, completed phase four, I'm pretty sure. And now... They're transitioning into phase five, another set of movies and shows that are tying this entire world together. I think it's a really cool endeavor. And at some point, 30 years from now, when you look back at the history of the world, if it's not on fire, and you say, hey, how did this, how was entertainment like back then? What was it like? What do people enjoy? I think people will say they enjoyed movies. And when you'll start looking up some of the classics, they'll look at the ones that attracted the most people. Maybe not necessarily the ones that are the best, the most cinematic. They will value the ones that tied the most people together. It's just how this goes. And so I give credit to the MCU. I think it's awesome. I think what they do 
for the movie industry elevates everything. It's a rising tide, lifts all boats, makes sure that everything around it has to raise their game as well. Because if you don't, you're going to get lost in the shuffle. And some people don't like that. Some people, they would prefer for people to highlight the the alternate movies, like the uh, indie films, not necessarily the ones that are made from the big producer. And I understand that too. Everybody has their own cup of tea. That's why we like movies and storytelling in the first place. So don't yuck someone's yum. That's what I'll say. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I know you're probably wondering, why are you still talking about movies on a basketball podcast, Ryan? What are you doing? I'm just enjoying my break. I'm enjoying my time, folks. I'm passionate about a variety of things, not necessarily just the nuggets. I'm trying to explore those different boundaries and just be a better, more holistic person. So we'll see if I can actually accomplish that. That'll do for this week. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you guys on Monday.